religious conservatives. Restrictive social legislation has been stymied in Congress. Proposals to limit federal court jurisdiction have faltered, and even Ronald Reagan could not persuade the Senate to pass a constitutional amendment in support of school prayer. But Congress was not the religious rights' only target. The leaders of the movement quickly realized that many of their objectives could be achieved by pushing for the nomination and confirmation of reliably conservative federal judges, particularly on the Supreme Court. While the results of that campaign have also been something of a mixed bag, the nature of the institution and its profound influence on American society continue to make the court a tempting target for the religious right. The Changing Court Fewer Appointments and Fewer Cases The very ability of the religious right to target the court as a mechanism for social change, of course, lies in the fact that the nomination and confirmation of Supreme Court justices is, by design, a political process. With clockwork regularity, one or more members of the Senate, and occasionally the President, will bemoan the fact that the ostensibly pure process of selecting judges has been defiled by politics. For example, in 2002, when President George W. Bush was frustrated by successful Democratic efforts to block the nomination of Washington lawyer Miguel Estrada to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He said, The Senate should not play politics with this nomination, for Estrada will be an outstanding judge. One of the reasons to change the United States Senate is to make sure the good judges I nominate get a fair hearing, a swift vote, and approval. Such protestations bring to mind the smirking observation of Captain Renault, Claude Rains' character in Casablanca. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. But as Bush's own comment amply illustrates, it should not surprise anyone that both the White House and the Senate play politics with judicial appointments. The framers intended it to be a political process. Bush would not have pleaded to his supporters to elect a more compliant and deferential Senate if politics were not an integral part of the process. In fact, even if a president could unilaterally name Supreme Court justices a disconcerting thought, it would still be a political process. The requirement of consent by the Senate simply makes the role of politics more diverse and, ideally, more reflective of the country as a whole. More than anything else, this book is the story of how the religious right, a.k.a. the Christian right, has powerfully and effectively used the political process to push for the nomination and confirmation of federal judges that it believes are more likely to issue legal decisions consistent with its views. When a group successfully uses the tools of politics, political action committees, advertisements, pamphlets, phone calls, fundraising letters, and the ultimate political tool, access, to influence the selection of judges, then it is disingenuous and hypocritical to suggest that the political beliefs of opponents should not play a part in the process as well. Institutional changes in the court make it all the more imperative to balance the undue influence of any particular group. There are few decisions that give U.S. presidents greater opportunity to extend the impact and importance of their administrations than the selection of federal judges. Thanks to the lifetime tenure that the nation's federal judges enjoy under Article 3, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution, unless they deviate from the good behavior requirement, a president's influence can extend for years and even decades past his or her departure from the Oval Office.
The current record for post-presidency influence is held by John Adams, whose last appointee, Chief Justice John Marshall, served more than 34 years after Adams left office. But there is at least a reasonable chance that either President George H.W. Bush or his son George W. Bush will challenge that record. It is sobering to think, for instance, that if Clarence Thomas serves 34 years beyond the end of the first Bush administration, he will be only 78 years old. Similarly remarkable is the fact that if Chief Justice John Roberts serves as long as his predecessor, William Rehnquist, his last day in office will be May 26, 2039. Prior to the 20th century, there were relatively few justices who managed to serve 30 years or more. Of the first 75 justices appointed to the court, just eight reached the three-decade mark. But since the middle-